Welcome to Quantum Magazine's podcast. Each episode, we bring you stories about developments in science and mathematics. I'm Susan Vadlich. Hearing is so effortless for most of us that it's often difficult to comprehend how much information the brain's auditory system needs to process. It has to take incoming sounds and transform them into the acoustic objects that we perceive. A friend's voice, a dog barking, the pitter-patter of rain. It has to pull relevant sounds from background noise. It has to determine that a word spoken by two different people has the same linguistic meaning, while also distinguishing between those voices and assessing them for pitch, tone, and other qualities. Maybe that's why the brain starts to give speech special treatment surprisingly early in the processing of sounds, as new work shows. That's next. Explore more science mysteries in the Quanta book Alice and Bob Meet the Wall of Fire, published by the MIT Press. Available now at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, or your local bookstore. Also, make sure to tell your friends about the Quanta Magazine Science Podcast and give us a positive review or follow where you listen. It helps people find this podcast. According to traditional models of neural processing, when we hear sounds, our auditory system extracts simple features from them that then get combined into increasingly complex and abstract representations. This process allows the brain to turn the sound of someone speaking into units of sound, then syllables, and eventually words. But in a paper published in Cell in August, a team of researchers challenged that model. They found that the auditory system often processes sound and speech simultaneously and in parallel. The findings suggest that how the brain makes sense of speech diverges dramatically from scientists' expectations. The signals from the ear branch into distinct brain pathways at a surprisingly early stage in processing. These signals sometimes even bypass a brain region thought to be a crucial stepping stone in building representations of complex sounds. The work offers hints of a new explanation for how the brain can unbraid overlapping streams of auditory stimuli so quickly and effectively. Yet in doing so, the discovery doesn't just call into question more established theories about speech processing. It also challenges ideas about how the entire auditory system works. Much of the prevailing wisdom about our perception of sounds is based on analogies to what we know about computations performed in the visual system. But growing evidence hints that auditory processing works very differently. So scientists are starting to rethink what the various parts of the auditory system are doing and what that means for how we decipher rich soundscapes. Dana Bobinger is a cognitive neuroscientist at Harvard University who wasn't involved in the study, but is familiar with it. This study is a monumental undertaking that I think is super exciting. The claims of these parallel pathways are provocative and would call into question a lot of these very fundamental assumptions we have, which is both exciting, but also something that I think extreme claims require extreme evidence. Bobinger isn't ready to abandon more conventional theories about how the brain processes complex auditory information, though. But she says it's still exciting. We need people to be questioning these things and 
interpreting their data and trying to figure out what's actually going on, because maybe we don't actually have a very good idea of what's going on. The earliest steps in our perception of sound are very well understood. When we hear someone speak, the cochlea in our ear separates the complex sound into different component frequencies. It then sends that representation through several stages of processing to the auditory cortex. At first, information is extracted from those signals about a sound's location in space, its pitch, and how much it's changing. What happens next is trickier to nail down. Higher cortical regions are thought to tease out features specifically relevant to speech in a hierarchical sequence. The features of other complex types of sounds, such as music, would be handled similarly. This arrangement echoes models of how the visual system works. It interprets patterns of light falling on cells in the retina first as lines and edges, and then as more complex features and patterns. This ultimately builds up a representation of a face or an object. But dissecting the details of the flow of auditory information has been difficult. Studies of speech can't get far by using animals because speech is a uniquely human trait. And in humans, most research has to use indirect methods to measure brain activity. Getting direct recordings is trickier because it's invasive and sticking electrodes into people's brains purely for research purposes isn't ethical. Instead, scientists need to piggyback on medical procedures, collecting data from electrodes implanted in the brains of patients getting surgery for epilepsy. But many auditory regions of interest are nestled deep within the brain, between the frontal and temporal lobes. And that's an area where surgeons don't usually seek recordings. Here's Bobinger again. Things like fMRI, which is what I predominantly use, you have pretty good spatial resolution, but really terrible temporal resolution. There are other methods that have really good temporal resolution, but not very good spatial resolution. Still, many of those direct and indirect studies found evidence for the traditional hierarchical model of auditory and speech processing. One of the early stops in the process, the primary auditory cortex, seems to be tuned to encode simple features of sounds, such as frequency. As the signals progress away from the primary auditory cortex, other brain regions seem to respond more to increasingly complex sound features instead, including features unique to speech, like phonemes or units of sound. Liberty Hamilton is a neuroscientist at the University of Texas, Austin. People had seen these functional modules based on experiments that weren't necessarily looking to see how they were connected, but more what were these regions specifically responding to. And so in 2014, Hamilton set out to build a more comprehensive map of speech sound representations throughout the auditory cortex. She wanted to learn what kind of information gets distilled from a sound in different brain areas and how that information gets integrated from one region to the next. Hamilton had a rare opportunity to explore that question, first as a postdoctoral researcher in the lab of Edward Cheng, a neurosurgeon at the University of California, San Francisco, and then in her own lab in Austin. Cheng, Hamilton, and their colleagues were able to bring together several patients whose treatment required electrode grids to be placed in various auditory locations. 
Opportunities to monitor those areas are so hard to come by, says Bobinger. This kind of recording from the human brain intraoperatively using these surface electrodes that the Chang Lab uses is kind of the, the gold standard, the unicorn of human neuroscience data. But the only downside with that kind of data is you don't get to choose where you put the electrodes. So oftentimes you get pretty sort of not random, but very sort of sparse coverage, you know, maybe not optimal areas of the brain. So sometimes it's hard to make claims about how like the whole of auditory cortex responds when you only have a few points here and there. Hamilton says they hoped to be able to fill in details about how the brain transforms low-level sound representations. The concrete goal at that time was really to get a comprehensive map of speech sound representations across the primary auditory cortex and what we call the parabelt auditory cortex. So just outside of primary and into areas like superior temporal gyrus, because up until that point, it was very rare to have these types of intracranial recordings. And there was some evidence from fMRI looking at representation of different categories of sound But really the sort of nitty gritty of which of these areas are pitch sensitive, which of these areas are phoneme sensitive. Can we combine the pitch sensitive electrodes information to get a phoneme representation? Those were the kinds of questions that we were asking is really more of this mapping of the specific aspects of speech and then seeing how the areas feed information from one functional area to another. And so we sort of delved into what the specific functional areas within that are that sort of turned the idea on its head a little bit. The first hint that things weren't proceeding as anticipated arrived quickly. The Chang group analyzed the responses of diverse auditory regions to features of pure tones and spoken words and sentences. They were able to confirm previous findings and fill in details of the map that had been missing. But they also observed something strange. If information flowed hierarchically from lower to higher areas as they thought, then the primary auditory cortex should respond to an input before the superior temporal gyrus did. Yet some areas of the superior temporal gyrus seem to respond to the onset of speech just as quickly as the primary auditory cortex responded to simple sound characteristics like frequency. The observation invited a new hypothesis, that the two brain regions were processing different aspects of the same input in parallel. Here's Hamilton. Maybe there is this parallel pathway for speech perception that can bypass the primary auditory cortex, which is where we thought all of the information was supposed to go. That would mean some representations of speech sounds didn't need to be built out of lower level features extracted in the primary auditory cortex. In a hierarchical model, if you expect that the primary auditory cortex is kind of the first way station before getting to the speech areas of the cortex, if you interrupted it, then you should expect that people will have problems understanding speech. 
But Hamilton's results suggested that's not necessarily true. Cheng, Hamilton, and their colleagues decided to test that idea further. When they stimulated patients' primary auditory cortex to disrupt its function, the patients still had no problem perceiving speech. We found that really fascinatingly, instead of doing anything to speech, people reported that if you stimulate the Heschel's gyrus, they'd actually hallucinate a sound on top of what they were hearing. Those hallucinations ranged from buzzing and tapping to running water and crunching gravel. When the researchers stimulated a subregion of the superior temporal gyrus, they saw the opposite. Patients could not understand speech, but could still apparently hear sounds normally. One subject described it as being able to hear you speaking, but not being able to make out the words. Here's Hamilton. And so it was kind of like they're just two separate processes. These are independent pathways for the processing of sounds and supposedly higher level features associated with speech. Finding parallel processing in the auditory cortex isn't entirely a surprise. Sophie Scott, a neurologist at University College London, who didn't participate in the study, says hierarchies are nice and clean when you're talking about perceptual systems. She says that's because you know that at some level you're going from a noisy signal to something higher order or more abstract. But Scott says no one ever told nature that that had to be the easiest or cleanest way of doing it. It only makes sense that at some point, separate brain circuits have to handle different types of auditory information simultaneously. In fact, researchers have already reported parallel functions at later stages in auditory processing. Complex musical and speech elements are processed separately, with their representations forming at least partly in parallel. But those splits in speech and sound processing happen only after signals have passed through the primary auditory cortex. Hamilton and Chang's work uncovered such a branch point very early in the process, so early that it might mean that information gets integrated to represent speech sounds at the subcortical level rather than just in the cortex. And if subcortical processing plays such a large role in speech, researchers might also have overlooked other important ways in which the brain makes sense of complex sounds. Israel Nelkin is a neurobiologist and director of the Edmund and Lily Safra Center for Brain Sciences at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. We learned again and again over the years that a lot of the things that we thought are cortical actually happen, at least to some extent, also subcortical. In fact, the new results demonstrate that lower levels of the cortex might be hiding greater complexity too. For instance, Scott found it intriguing that stimulating the primary auditory cortex led to such a rich set of auditory hallucinations in the Chang group's patients. Scott says such hallucinations would typically be associated with higher-order cortical regions. So the primary auditory cortex might be doing more than it's typically given credit for. Other recent work has pointed to the same conclusion. In contrast to the primary visual cortex, the primary auditory cortex receives signals that have already undergone much more processing. It represents information in a much more context-sensitive way. 
David Poople, a neuroscientist at New York University, says it's functionally much more downstream than primary visual cortex is. Even so... I don't think we want to throw out the hierarchical baby with the bathwater entirely in the sense that the point of the speech recognition process is, of course, word recognition. There are still hierarchies in this system, and they're important for constructing increasingly abstract mental representations. But departing from that hierarchy to process speech and other sounds in parallel very early on might offer a lot of advantages. Here's cognitive neuroscientist Dana Bobinger. So the auditory system is like optimized for speed in a lot of ways. So maybe having this kind of parallel organization might allow you to get information about speech or other more complex kinds of sounds analyzed more quickly. We need microsecond level precision because sounds are always changing. Plus, auditory signals are inherently messy. Individuals drop phonemes or skip words inconsistently, and they may speak differently in different social contexts. A parallel processing system might be better at dealing with such chaotic inputs. It might also help the auditory system to segregate complex overlapping sounds more efficiently and allow the brain to rapidly switch attention between those acoustic streams. Sophie Scott says there have to be multiple streams of different sorts of information being processed all at the same time in a very plastic way because the auditory environment can change at the drop of a hat. Given the importance of speech sounds to humans, it makes sense that our brain would process them quickly and in a way that keeps them distinct from background or environmental sounds. And if speech and the sounds that produce them get processed independently very early on, then perhaps other types of sounds do too. To find out, Hamilton and others are hoping to do experiments with a broader array of auditory inputs. Environmental sounds, music, sentences spoken amid background noise rather than in silence. They want to examine when and where different kinds of parallel processing might occur. Bob Shannon is a neuroscientist at the University of Southern California. Now we're starting the ability to dissect the components of that processing. Are there specialized pathways for different sequences of information and how many? Perhaps representations will turn out to form not just in ascending hierarchies or in neat parallel pathways, but with so much parallelism and complexity. I'm not sure what parallel processing really is. It's more like a lightning storm. And Israel Nelkin says that's a very different picture of how sensory systems work. Matt Carlstrom helped with this episode. I'm Susan Vallett. For more on this story, read Jordana Sapelowitz's full article, The Brain Processes Speech in Parallel with Other Sounds, on our website, quantamagazine.org. Quantum Magazine is an editorially independent online publication supported by the Simons Foundation to enhance public understanding of science.